The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save. And save and win. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? This is the Punt and Pass Podcast. Touchdown, baby! Now, here are your hosts, two-time All-American punter Drew Butler. Mark Rick would like Drew Butler to hit it a mile in the air. And he did and the SEC's career leader in touchdown passes and completions, Aaron Murray. Touchdown in stride as he crosses the goal line. Put it right on his hip. What a throw. Now with the latest from around the SEC and the world of college football, it's the Punt and Pass Podcast. Get to the house, sideline, pylon, touchdown, and the dogs are on the board first. Victory is mine. Yeah, surprisingly, I've been lame. Welcome in to the Punt and Pass Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Butler. Join alongside my co-host, Aaron Murray. Be sure to follow us on social media. We are at Punt and Pass on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Drew Butler. Aaron is at Aaron Murray 11. And head on over to puntandpass.com. It's got everything that you need to stay up to date in the world of college football. It's got our picks. Our boy Murray was back this week. He went 4-1 against the spread. Both of our locks hit. I went 3-2, nice. and two, so we're keeping the momentum going forward. It's got our blog up there, our YouTube page, which continues to crush it. And, of course, everywhere that our podcast is distributed. Don't forget about the merch page. Go check it out puntandpass.com. We have an awesome roundup episode here for you, Aaron. So much to talk about. It was a wild weekend of college football. Um, You were out west. You did a snow game, Boise State versus Wyoming. I'm glad to see you're back in Atlanta, safe and sound. Mm -hmm. Where do you want to start here, my man? We can obviously talk about the Florida upset. We can touch on how good Georgia has been looking. I got a few other things. Gus Malzahn's been fired at Auburn. I think the Gus thing to me is the biggest shocker of the weekend. Gus Malzahn? I, I do. I think that's the biggest shocker. I, Let's I'm start just, there. I, I, you know, one, I don't think the way they played this season has warranted him getting fired first off. And then two, that's a lot of money in, in a pandemic oh year. We're already losing a ton of money with fans and concessions and just everything. I mean, it's been a tough year financially for all these, these colleges across the country. Yep. And to, you know, fire a guy and have to pay him $21 million. I think 50% of it's going to have to be paid in the next 30 days. And then <laughs> the rest of it will be paid over the next four years. That's a lot of money, man. Yeah. Like who are you going to bring in that is that big of a difference from Gus Malzahn that it warrants a $21 million. Yep. Here you go, buddy. Uh, we appreciate everything and, and good luck on your next job. It is crazy. The timing is extremely interesting. You know, there were rumblings. Would it happen this year? Gus Malzahn, of course, everybody knows how many lives he has. He has had some success against Nick Saban. Do not forget that. It's not like he hasn't won any games against Nick Saban, which, of course, is Auburn's biggest rival. But when their expectations were so high, seemingly at the preseason of most seasons, that's when they would underperform. And people, I think, Auburn alumni, Auburn decision makers, everybody was understanding that it was just kind of the same old, same old toss-up 
towards the end of each season. This year, Aaron, you mentioned it, a COVID year. We talked about it at the beginning of this season. We were like, oh, I would not expect many coaches to get fired. Budgets and bottom lines look different across the country mm-hmm. when it comes to athletic departments. How are they going to be able to handle a $21.4 million buyout with no offset? 50% of that must be paid within 30 days. The rest is paid in installments over four years. That is a ton of money. So where does Auburn go? Okay, here's what I think. I think they made the decision now to get ahead of maybe Tennessee firing Jeremy Pruitt. It's clear that they are probably going to go after the same candidates, most notably Hugh Freeze. Who else? Billy Napier, Jamie Chaldwell. Look at some guys who have had success as assistant coaches in the SEC, but most importantly, pinpoint Hugh Freeze, who has had the most success against Nick Saban. Reports have said Greg Sankey has vetted Hugh Freeze to come back into the SEC. Here's my thing. Hugh Freeze is probably best situated from a coaching perspective to take advantage of Auburn's roster at this point. Would you agree with me there, Aaron? Do you think he would clean house and bring everybody in? Would Hugh Freeze hang on to some of the assistant coaches and great recruiters that Auburn has? It's really interesting here. You think they're going to move fast to make sure that these candidates don't have their pick of the litter? Yeah, listen, I, I think he's a great candidate. Obviously, what he's been able to do, knows the SEC, and you know, obviously, as long as Sankey gives his blessing, uh, that's the main thing. I mean, Mario Cristobal there at Oregon, he's another guy that obviously has some SEC ties um, you know, he's someone that I, I love what he's done at Oregon. I think he's a tremendous head coach. I'll be interested to see if they reach out to him. Uh, I'm interested in what the money is going to be yeah. to entice some of these coaches to leave. Like they're not going to say, Oh, we'll just take a, you know, a, a $2 million, $3 million deal. I mean, if you're taking a deal at Auburn, you're expecting that thing to be north of 5 million, I would think. Oh yeah. And yeah. now you're, like I said, it depends, issues. you know, if you're coaching, you're going to pay him $10 million this season. So all of a sudden for 2021, technically you're paying a coach 15 plus million dollars to coach Auburn. I mean, I just, was I'm just scratching my head with the fire this season. You know, if you want to get rid of him, at least give him 2021. Uh, it's a new offense this year. Yeah. He gave up the play calling duties and, you know, that offense was kind of up and down. Next year's Bo Nix's third year. It's second year in the offense. I think things would have been better next year for Auburn, especially with, you know, the, the amount of talent that Alabama was losing. I know Alabama always – Reloads. Brings guys back and they'll be, you know, pretty darn good again next year. But you're losing a running back, star receivers, star quarterback. Like, I just think next year could have been a pretty good year for the Auburn Tigers uh, with just who they had returning. You know, their quarterback, their star running back, and yeah. everything else. So I just am kind of scratching my head about the timing of the whole situation. But yeah, I agree. Hugh Freeze to me has obviously been a name that has been. You know, anytime there's a firing anywhere in the country, especially in the SEC, he's the first guy on a lot of people's lists. Um, and especially this year, what he's done at Liberty. So I think to me, he's definitely on the on the short list there. But don't sleep on Mario Cristobal. You mentioned the money, right? And if you were to hire somebody to prove it, which is like what a Shane Beamer got at South Carolina, which is what Kirby Smart got when he first came to Georgia, around three to three and a half million per year, that candidate at Auburn would not excite the fan base. It would not excite the decision makers, and they'd be sitting there going, "Well, why did we fire Gus?" Which brings your point to fruition. You got to go get Hugh Freeze. You got to pay him five plus million a year. You have to set the precedent. We made the decision to fire Gus Malzahn to get somebody to fix it now. So I think that's where um, this storyline is headed. It's going to be very, very 
exciting to follow and see what kind of timing they have on it. What other firings happen? You know, they said Texas said Tom Herman's going to stay, obviously, because they couldn't get Urban Meyer. Will Tennessee fire Jeremy Pruitt if Auburn gets Hugh Freeze in a fast like manner? Quarter. I know. It was looking like that for the first quarter for, for Tennessee. I was like, you got to be kidding me right now. Um, and, and Tennessee got a little bit lucky there with that pick six that was definitely holding or p- pass interference um, that did not get called. And they took advantage of it and kind of rolled from there. But early on in that football game, I'm like, you got to be kidding me right now. Vanderbilt has a chance to beat Tennessee. Like, if Vanderbilt would have been Tennessee, Jeremy Pruitt might have been fired on the spot. Yeah. Um, I just, and I think that was a much needed win for him um, to kind of, I think he's going to keep his job for another year. I, I think so too. And again, I think if Hugh Freeze goes to Auburn in a timely fashion, Pruitt stays. They kind of test the waters, see what else happens out there. Let Pruitt get one more year. That'd be great for a lot of Georgia think, fans and Florida think fans. It's going to be any better for Tennessee. I yeah. Think I said it next week. I just don't think, you know, the issue is when he got to Tennessee, there was there wasn't a lot of great talent, and he's he's gotten it a little bit better. Obviously, the, it hasn't shown on the field right now. And unless they go out there and just get some stud quarterback that wants to transfer in, this is going to be a mediocre football team once again in 2021. And then, you know, at that point, are you just wasting another year instead of trying to find someone who you know then can find a way to create and, and bring some excitement there to the fan base and to that program. So I think he's getting one more year, and, and like I said, I just don't think that year is going to help. Another name to watch out for, um, but I don't think Auburn would go in that direction because it would be kind of the same old, same old, is Rhett Lashley, the offensive coordinator at Miami. He was formerly under Gus Malzahn. He knows Auburn really well. He can recruit. But again, it'd be the same thing in a different body. I think Sark's heading back out west, it seems like. you know, And a lot of reports are saying watch out for him in the Arizona job. You know, Why his ties are, I don't job? know. It's in shambles. I mean, job, you can't win at Arizona. No, you know, I agree with you. You just can't. I just, it's, it's a tough place to go. So, you know, if I'm Sark, I'd rather stay at Alabama, get another year. For sure. I'm sure there's going to be a lot more openings after the 2021 season. For sure. Um, and then kind of have your pick from there. Um, I just would not go somewhere that, you know, you can't turn around in a quick amount of time. I think Auburn would be a great spot for him. You know, I think next year, if Tennessee doesn't do well, I think Tennessee would be a good spot for him. I mean, he he's built up a good name in the Southeast right now. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, and some great, exciting football. So if I was him, I'd rather stay in the Southeast. Great football. You can recruit everywhere. Um, I think he could turn a program around pretty fast. I, I, I just, you know me, I love what Alabama's doing offensively. Oh, right my now. God, who doesn't? the best offense team in the country. Obviously, personnel helps. But the play design, the personnel he uses, everything he does with the shifts and motions, and uh, I'll tell you what, he's playing chess when a lot of defensive coordinators are playing, you know, checkers right now, and it's fun to see. No doubt. Um, Shocking news yesterday afternoon when it was announced Gus Malzahn was going to be fired at Auburn. And what else was shocking this past weekend? The LSU-Florida game. I mean, we said it on Friday's podcast. Aaron said LSU plus 23, lock of the week, more so leaning towards you didn't know if Florida was going to play Kyle Pitts. You didn't know mm-hmm. if Kyle Trask was going to play a lot in the second half. LSU dealing with so much trouble this past week. You're just sitting there going, Florida wants to get out with the win, call the dogs off in the third quarter, coast in to the SEC championship game. Well, damn, this game got off to a crazy start. I remember looking at Jackie. We're sitting there Saturday night. I go, this is a damn good football game. LSU playing with tons of energy, capitalizing on turnovers, really frustrating Kyle Trask and that Florida offense on the flip side moving the ball against Florida's defense. Sure enough, second half starts, that fog rolls in. You're sitting there going, something's up. Something's going to happen. 
in this football game, back and forth in the second half. And man, what a finish. Okay, so let's just set the scene here. LSU seems like they have a great opportunity to win the football game. They get the ball back. It is a tie game, 34-34. to Florida's defense starts bringing pressure, finally stops LSU's offense. It seems like LSU's going to have to punt. Florida's going to use that momentum, go get down in the field goal range, kick it, get out with a victory, go from there. LSU gets stopped on third down. Marco Wilson tackles LSU's receiver, stands up with his the LSU receiver's shoe in his hand, turns the other direction, and chucks it 20 yards downfield. I mean, I audibly gasp. I go, oh, how is that not a penalty? Then the flags start coming in. Referee steps in and goes, personal foul, unsportsmanlike conduct on number three, throwing the opponent's shoe 20 yards downfield. Sean McDonough, our buddy, and Todd Blackledge were dumbfounded. Of course, that's a 15-yard penalty. Automatic first down. LSU continues the drive. Kay York, LSU's kicker, makes a 57-yard field goal in the swamp, in the fog, to go up 37-34. Florida turns around, gets the ball back with around a minute left. Evan McPherson wide left on a 49-yarder. Game over, Aaron. Florida goes down. This was an unbelievable game, unprecedented upset, especially with how bad LSU has been playing recently. Florida now out of the college football playoff race, not looking good against Alabama coming up this weekend in the SEC championship game. And we will touch on it. Dan Mullen's postgame quotes. I mean, they are pure comedy. Tell me what you thought. Um, well, first off, great football game. And yeah, I want to give a, a big shout out to Max Johnson. Obviously, Brad Johnson is the brother-in-law to Coach Rick. Right. So it's funny, man. We would have to, every single spring, we would have a uh, a quarterback competition where Coach Rick would bring to his house all like this former FSU quarterbacks, the former Georgia quarterbacks, and then obviously the current Georgia quarterbacks. And we'd try to do just fun games. We'd do bowling. We'd do ping pong. We'd do bocce Beer, ball. Beer pong. Like, yeah, not <laughs> Coach Rick. It's Coach Rick was running it, not Bobo. If it was Bobo, maybe Beer Park. Um, but, I mean, all these old, old-timer old games that, of course, all these guys are pretty good at. But, obviously, Brad Johnson was very involved. We'd actually do it at Brad's house a lot of the time. And Max would join us. And just thinking about how, you know, he was probably – because he's 18 now, so that was like 10, 12 years ago. Eight, so he eight, was – 10 years old, yeah. Yeah, like yeah, like six or eight years old. Oh my god, hanging out crazy. with this kid, and now I'm watching him play big time SEC football on primetime and getting his first win and his first start there versus the number six team in the country on the road in the swamp. Like it was really cool to see Brad there and his wife, um, and and you know watching their son do his thing. So you know, first of all, really really excited about him, and he looked pretty darn good. And he even in backup duties this year, he's a great little athlete. Uh, he can move around the pocket well. He has some great touch. That first touchdown pass, first or second one, where he threw it, layered it over two defenders in the back of the end zone was sweet. So great game by him. You know, in Florida lost two things there. You know, I, one, I love your tweet that you had after the game uh, because I don't think Florida was going to win this game this weekend anyways versus Alabama. So maybe it's kind of simmered the expectations yeah. for the fan base. Uh, but they, they, you know, we'll see. If they beat Alabama, I still think there's a chance for them to get into the playoffs. We'll, we'll have to kind of see what the committee thinks about them this week and how far they drop. Uh, but I do think Kyle Trask is now out. Oh, all, do you really? I do. Okay. You know, you know two interceptions, pick six, fumble. Um, Sloppy and now, game. Now the team doesn't really have a chance to get into the playoffs. So I think this is – you know, he needed to have an unbelievable season – 
and then to play really well versus Alabama. And then, I, like I said a few weeks ago, I think if he played really well versus Alabama, it was a close game, and Matt Jones played a so-so game, I could have seen Kyle Trask, even with a losing SEC championship game, still winning the Heisman. Now, with the loss to LSU, the way he played, they have to beat Alabama if he wants to win the Heisman. He has to have like a five-touchdown game to do it. I don't see that happening, uh, especially the way Alabama's playing defensively. So, yeah, I think right now this is an all Alabama. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I really do. I, it should awesome. be. I mean, they have the best players in the country right now between Najee and Devontae and Mac Jones. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Where the hell was Kyle Pitts? Now, now I watched college game day Saturday morning, and Desmond Howard goes off on a rant. Of course, former Heisman Trophy winner. He's talking about how he's been pretty upset with how the voting has gone in past years. Obviously, now people think it's a quarterback award. People are clearly sitting here going Mac Jones versus Kyle Trask. He goes on this big rant on college game day and says this. Kyle Pitts is the most unique player in America, Kyle Pitts is the most athlete, most elite athlete in college football in America. He says, and I quote, if Kyle Pitts is not in your top three of Heisman voting, you are doing a disservice to the award. I sit there and go, whoa, that is pretty strong words from a former Heisman Trophy winner. Tune into a game that night. Florida, a must win if you want to stay in the college football playoff race. And he's not even playing in the game. Seems like a healthy scratch to me. I mean, I wasn't aware of him being injured in the past week or so. He played great just a week ago. Mm-hmm. I think it goes to show you, and you just mentioned it, Trask now kind of being on the outside looking in, how important Kyle Pitts is to Trask's success. So I don't necessarily yes, agree no, with though, Desmond because, Howard, because but he had to play last night or it was Saturday night. Trask, Trask played well. You know, when, when Pitts didn't play a few weeks ago, he Pitts was out for a couple of weeks after that Georgia game, and I thought Kyle Trask played tremendous without him. Um, so, yes, does 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 Pitts make Florida better offensively? Hell yeah, man. He's one of the most dynamic players in all of college football. He's the worst matchup nightmare when it comes to going against linebackers and safeties that you could want as an offensive coordinator. Him and Devontae Smith, yes, are probably the two best matchups in all of college. But at the end of the day, Devontae's played games, and Pitts hasn't. Yeah, so, I, I mean, agree. I, I I agree that Pitts is tremendous. I love Pitts. You know how much I love the tight end position. He hasn't played enough to deserve an opportunity to be in the Heisman. Same thing that goes with with Trevor Lawrence. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is the best player in all of college football. He is not going to be up for the Heisman because he's missed multiple games. So he just hasn't done it over the course of our entire season to to allow him to be up for that award. So, um, yeah, he's not in it. And and, and Devontae, well, Devontae might not have had the biggest game – Stat-wise, receiving that punt return just shows you how dynamic he is. I mean, that speed he had, and I mean, it was a wide-open punt return. I think you and I could have got some yards on that one, but still, this this, the kid can do it all over the place. Yeah, I'm not having the the, maybe the best days. They weren't really throwing the ball much. They didn't have to throw the ball much. They only played a half, but he can just affect the game in so many different ways, and he showed it this weekend versus Arkansas with that punt return. Yeah, Kyle Pitts tweeted after the game, dot, 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 like an ellipsis. Um, so I don't know what that meant. If maybe the coaches told him, hey, we don't need you tonight. Take a weekend off. We'll get you nice and healthy heading into the SEC championship game. But a gross mismanagement by not having your most dynamic playmaker on mm-hmm. the field. And like you just said, yeah, you can be an elite athlete. You still got to play football games. You still yeah. got to put the stats up. Pitts has not done that consistently. Let's go to the Dan Mullen quotes here. I mean, unbelievable. Unbelievable. This was said after the game. Mullen was asked about 
the possibility of Florida making the playoff with two losses should Florida beat Alabama in the SEC championship game. He says he doesn't have a vote, but, quote, I guess the best thing to do would have played less games because you seem to get rewarded for not playing this year. Listen, dude, I get uh-huh. it. I mean, I understand it. Ohio State, who knows what's going to happen. Clemson and Notre Dame got the weekend off last weekend. You still got to beat LSU. I mean, that does not take away yes. from you losing to a 3-7 and seven football team or a 3-6 and six football team. To say that, obviously emotional after the game. To say, I think we should still be able to get in and we're getting penalized for playing more. No, you're getting penalized for losing. That, that's the situation, losing to a 3-6 and six team. Georgia has lost to the number one team, and they lost to the number six team, which now, obviously, they will be ranked probably eight or nine, I would assume, ahead of Georgia still. I don't know. We'll see what happens in the college football playoff. But that quote after the game, I'm sitting there going, come on, damn Owen. Why go there right now? We'll touch on the Marco Wilson stuff, but – do, why go there post game, Aaron? I don't know. Uh, I'm sure. I think everyone in that stadium was shocked. I was a little bit shocked, and you know, I know. I think I picked. I'm not sure if you picked that. that you know, LSU to cover, but mostly oh, yeah. for the fact that LSU, I thought was going to score maybe a late touchdown, to and and, and Florida was going to pull their guys there midway through the third quarter, kind of like what Alabama did against Arkansas. But um, you know, obviously a lot of frustration. This has been a tremendous year for Florida. They finally got over the the hurdle of the you know playing Georgia and winning that game for him, uh, taking control of the East. So a lot of pause momentum. He's been getting a lot of champagne and wine from the old ball coach. Yeah. About what that. Was that about? We'll see if he gets you know a, a pound of coal here heading into this <laughs> game. A little early Christmas present stocking suffer. Um, so yeah, there's just a lot of frustration um, overall. I mean, obviously you've seen the frustration with him and Todd Grantham this season. I'm sure him and Grantham were not seeing eye to eye after this game as well with the fact that LSU was just de- you know depleted on offense. I mean, yeah. you're your third string quarterback. Unbelievable. All your receivers are gone. I mean, to me, this is once again the biggest issue for Florida is they just have no defense. It's been all season long. And, and yes, they look better versus Tennessee. And some people are like, hey, man, they've been getting better. They've been getting better. I'm like, they really haven't played any great offenses to say that they are getting better on the defense side of the football. I think they're the same damn defense have they been all year. I mean, Kentucky ran right through them in the first half. Yeah. They did a better job in the second half. You know, Tennessee at times could move the football. I mean, this is still not a great defense this year. And the fact that LSU had, like I said, their third string quarterback and probably like their fourth, fifth, and sixth string receiver and were able to move the ball up and down the field and score that many points against them is, I mean, to me, I'd be pissed off at Grantham, honestly, that he couldn't figure out a better game plan to go against LSU Tigers at home, too, in the swamp. You're 100% right. Everybody has to be frustrated, Florida fans in general. I mean, it was a meme generator, LSU. Um, people, LSU tweeted a picture of the shoe and said it's the new rivalry game trophy. I mean, hilarious stuff, really creative stuff. It was Amazing just how important that penalty was. And about that penalty, yesterday, Dan Mullen, of course, had another interview with the media. And here are some more quotes. And I am being 100% honest with you. These are real. I have not doctored them or touched them at all. Dan Mullen said Marco Wilson made a football move. The shoe was in his hand and he threw it. And it wasn't meant to taunt LSU. Quote from Dan Mullen. I went back to watch the play and he made the tackle. Part of the football move 
the kid's shoe was in his hand, and he kind of jumped up and celebrated with his teammates. So it's pretty unfortunate in that situation. I don't think there was any intent to taunt, end quote. I mean, I get he's trying to protect his guy. Um, it sucks that Marco Wilson is is being tabbed as the reason they lost this football game, probably sharing some of the blame with the kicker that missed the 49-yard kick at the end of the game. It's never on one or two people. You know, obviously, Aaron, you can attest to that. So can I. But for Dan Mullen to sit there and go, it shouldn't have been called a penalty. It wasn't taunting. I mean, the play was over. Guys were heading towards sidelines. He had the the shoe in his hand and chucked it 20-plus yards down yeah, the that, field. That, you that, can't that, do that. Stand, I mean, you can't defend it, the kid, for that. I mean, you're just – I think that's setting a bad example, too, not only for him but the rest of your team. That, no hey, question. I, it's, I think it's okay that you can go throw you know other dude shoots all over the all over the ballpark. So he needed the man up as a coach, and I think he needed a man up and – and make sure that his players are held accountable for that. And, you know, it's one thing that I'm sure behind closed doors, he's telling Mark Wilson, like, what the hell were you thinking? Yeah. You know, you're an idiot, but then you can't go out there in the public and, and defend him like that. You need to say, listen, we had a talk. I let him know that this is not the right thing to do. I let our team know that you can't do this sort of thing. You won't see it going forward. But I think to go out now in the public and make it seem like it wasn't that big of a deal. That's a big deal. It costs oh, you a football yeah. game. Oh, it costs you the playoffs. Cost yeah. you a chance at the playoffs. A chance at the like, playoffs. Don't downplay it, coach. Like, you need to make sure those guys understand that they can't. Because he's a good coach. This is a great program. It's on the up and up right Absolutely. now. And they need to know going forward that, hey, we were sniffing on the door. We were knocking on the door to get into the playoffs this year. We won the East. But if we want to take the step next year, we can't be doing stupid stuff like that and cost us ourselves opportunities to win games we're supposed to win. And cost ourselves opportunities to be one of the top four teams in the country. Yeah, um, it's terrible optics. And you talked about how head ball coach Steve Spurrier always celebrates with Dan Mullen. If the shoe were on the other foot, no pun intended, Steve Spurrier would have blasted Marco Wilson in post-game press conference. Said, don't know what the hell this kid was thinking. We don't teach that here at Florida. You know, he knows better. He would have put that kid on blast there's no doubt in my mind um funny to see all this play out unfortunate if you're a florida fan you know it really sucks for the sec championship game next week because we would have had a great run-up sucks for cbs but like i tweeted marco wilson all he did was curb expectations because when they lose 50 to 21 next weekend it stings a little bit less knowing that a college football playoff berth wasn't on the line Wild, wild. I I, I want to see how this is covered heading into the SEC championship game, um, and I would love to see the committee tomorrow night try to situate it and say if Florida does beat Alabama, there's still a chance for them to make the playoff. Who knows? Who knows? You know who I think, and I saw a couple tweets today, of course I would put it at around 10%, maybe even 5% to be able to make the college football playoff, Aaron? Georgia. Yeah, I'm not even kidding you. I saw some tweets that said, look, there is a pathway, and here's the reason why. Georgia is a completely different football team than they were six weeks ago. Completely, okay? And you and I talked about on last week's podcast, we said Georgia's going to win at Missouri. It should be a tough game. Missouri playing with a lot of momentum. Missouri senior day in Columbia, cold, wet weather. In comparison to Georgia's two recent opponents, Mississippi State, South Carolina, barely had the required number of scholarship players to play, both going through a rebuilding. South Carolina had just fired their head coach. 
Georgia coasted, did whatever they wanted. You know, it was a great opportunity for JT Daniels to step in as a starting quarterback and say, hey, I can get comfortable with my players. We just expected a bit more of a competition, more so on Missouri's front than on Georgia's front. Well, Georgia came out and absolutely stomped Mizzou, beat them 49-14. to JT Daniels continues to look pretty damn good, Aaron. He was 16-27, to 299 yards and three touchdowns. Guess who loves JT Daniels the most? A guy that you and I gave a lot of hate to early in the year. Not hate, criticism. That's George Pickens. Five catches, 126 yards, two touchdowns. On the flip side, George has 316 rushing yards and four touchdowns. The defense is getting healthier. They look good. They shut down Connor Bazelak, Larry Roundtree, and that Mizzou offense. Georgia looks pretty damn good. They do look good, man. The defense is is looking like they did at the beginning of the season. Offense, I, I sent a tweet out during the game. I mean, this is a balanced offense. Running the football. I mean, shoot, they're bringing like their third and fourth string running backs, and those guys are having success late in the game. That number 33 there in the fourth quarter broke off a couple of really nice ones. So RBU is alive. And oh, yeah. Looking pretty darn good. Um, and, yeah, man, you, you got to love what JT's doing right now with the football. Very accurate, especially down the football field, giving his guys opportunities to make plays. Probably one of the better games I've seen George Pickens have in his career. Um, some sweet catches. I mean, he, he really does run, you know, and I love fans like, oh, you said he sucked. Like, I didn't say he sucked. I just said he's very limited in what he does. And yeah. he still only ran two routes in the game. He ran – or three routes in the game. He ran a go ball. He ran a fade stop. And he ran a slant. I mean, he's just – he is very limited in what he can do. But at least he's really good at what those three routes that he does run. Uh, he runs them well. Uh, big plays on the outside, some tremendous catches. And I don't know. I mean, obviously, there is always a path to get in. Um, it's going to be extremely tough. And, um, you know, it, it still pains me to say this, but I would still love a Cincinnati, undefeated Cincinnati yeah. over a two-loss Georgia at the end of the day. Yeah, and it looks like, you know, the path right now seemingly looks like Georgia's going to play Cincinnati in the Peach Bowl, which yeah. would be an amazing situation. Awesome. I would love to see that. Yeah, and I, I talking about George Pickens a little bit more, I love how JT Daniels just throws the ball up to him. I mean, he has a ton of confidence in the guy, and obviously that gives Pickens a lot of confidence to go up there and win some 50-50 balls. And then going back to the number fourth spot, I want to give a shout-out to Clem McDavid, uh, listener of the podcast, at Clem's Tweets on Twitter. Here's what he tweeted this morning that made me think about it, and this is from Clem McDavid. I'm not advocating for UGA to be considered, but hear me out. The playoff was instituted with teams like 2007 UGA in mind, right? Four best teams, regardless of if you play for your conference championship or if you win your conference championship. Is 2020 UGA like 2007 UGA? We're a completely different team than earlier. Of the teams ahead of them, who is truly better than Georgia? Georgia would probably be favored against six of the nine teams. The Saragon ratings respect Georgia. FPI respects Georgia. If Clemson loses again, Bama boat races Florida, who showed that playing a full schedule can't be taken for granted. You know, wink, wink, Ohio State only playing four games. If Iowa State and Oklahoma each have worse losses than Georgia. Since he, of course, has the case, Aaron, if they're undefeated, but that's the situation at hand. If you're in the committee, if you're in the room, Clem says the point is that fourth spot could be a lot tighter than you think if Notre Dame wins next weekend. Yeah, Notre Dame has to win. Uh, I think it's the biggest thing. I think all these teams on the outside looking in right now, whether it is whether it's A&M, whether it's Cincinnati, whether it's Georgia, whether it's Iowa State, like – 
that they need Notre Dame to win this football game because if Clemson wins and it's a three are locked and then it's only one spot left. Yeah. Um, and it looks like, you know, obviously the, the way the committee is kind of dealt with Ohio state this year, what the big 12 did last week, or excuse me, the big 10 with, with saying, Hey, we're going to eliminate the need to have that six game to be in the conference championship. All signs point to Ohio state is going to be in. <sighs> yeah, it really does. I mean, I, it's sorry. If the committee would have put Ohio state, over these next, you know, over the past few weeks, like at that eight spot, seven, eight spot, and say, hey, they just haven't shown us enough yet. Um, then, yeah, I would say there's a chance for these other teams. But the fact that they're at four and they have not moved, and they've missed a bunch of weeks, and they missed another week this week, um, the committee's not moving them at all. And and I just don't see Ohio State losing this weekend either. So to me, really, I think all four spots are already taken up. I, I do have a belief that Clemson will break it down later in the week. I do think Clemson's going to win a, a great football game this weekend. Against Notre Dame, that'd be a great. Honestly, Notre Dame can do it. They've they've won before. I think the playoffs are set in my mind right now. Alabama's not losing. Notre Dame's in. Ohio State's not losing. They're in. Um, it's all on Clemson now. Is Clemson going to be yep. at fourteen or the number two spot? Because Ohio State's not moving up. I think I said Nick last week. The only difference to me from this, what we're going to see this week to next week is if Clemson wins, I see Notre Dame and Clemson flipping. From Clemson two, Notre Dame three, then Ohio State's going to say that four spot. Yeah, I mean it's tough to see a lot of opportunity for teams that are outside of those four to make yeah. their way in, assuming that that's how it's going to play out this coming weekend. We got a lot of great football this weekend. I'm looking at the schedule right now, dude. I'm fired up. Hopefully it all mm-hmm. happens. Washington USC in the Pac-12 championship game Friday night. What I say about the Pac-12 USC, man. I know. I mean, scared, though. UCLA is a good football team. Yeah, ESPN um, said that game. they have like a 50% chance to make it into the college football playoff. I don't know what algorithm they use for that. I don't see that. Number 14 Northwestern taking on number 4 Ohio State in the Big 10 That's championship game. Go ahead. True. I mean that's that's a legitimate now debate a little bit. I mean if they if they have the same record as Ohio State, I mean which conference do you view as the strongest? No, right I now? agree with you. 100%. I mean we've been given. I think that's a legitimate conversation that needs to be had within you know USC should be a top ten team after this weekend. Uh, if you're going to have Ohio State at four, and the Big Ten is just in, in disarray right now. Um, why would you not consider USC for that spot? Because I don't think. As I'm pulling up the the stats here for the Big 12 or Pac-12, excuse me, I mean it's a good UCLA is a good football team. Yeah, Colorado is a good football team. Washington, Oregon, Stanford, um, they just haven't played enough. Good league this year. I mean, it, it you could say it's a better league than the Big Ten. Yeah. So why is Ohio State getting all this love over USC, who's five and 2 Same record. I hear Probably you. Probably playing a tougher. A tougher conference championship game than what Ohio State's playing in. Yeah, oh, Northwestern. Yeah. I, I would agree. I'd say with Washington's you. a better team than Northwestern. I would agree with you, and, and I so, go back to to the excitement for this upcoming weekend. You know, conference championship weekend. We're here. Big Twelve, number eleven, Oklahoma against number seven. Iowa State, of course, you got SEC action all across the board. Ends with the SEC championship game at 8 p.m. I like the night kick, number one Alabama yep. against who knows what number Florida will be. And then the ACC championship game, game of the day for sure at 4 p.m. on ABC, number three Clemson against number two Notre Dame. And the AAC championship game, I hope they play it. These teams were supposed yep. to play last weekend. Number 24 Tulsa against number eight Cincinnati. I think that's a little upset alert. I'm just saying that yep. right now. And who mm-hmm. knows what could happen to the entire playoff picture. It's certainly will look a lot different because I don't think and we always prognosticate 
I don't think it's going to go as planned. Of course, I hope all the games are played, but you never think it's going to go as planned when these games are on the field. Can I end with a quick rant, if that's okay? Yeah, go for it. All right. I wake up on Saturday, and I see my favorite college football reporter, Dan Wolken, tweet this out. Okay, College football reporter for the USA Today, Dan Wolken, tweets this out. Today's college football slate is pretty bleak. Let's just get to the end. <sighs> okay, I, uh, let me just say this right here. As a former player and as somebody who covers college football for a few different digital outlets, I love the game of football. I have appreciated seeing the creativity and the agility of these conferences and teams to make it happen this season. Kirby Smart was asked after the game on Saturday, you know, what do you think about this team right now? Obviously, it was in reference to how much better they look. And he said, it goes to the leadership of our juniors and seniors. Nobody's opted out of Georgia. They don't really have a shot to play for the college football playoff. Um, They're not playing in the SEC championship game, yet these guys are grinding. They're staying healthy. They are working hard to get better and enjoy the game of football, which is what I think 95% of the fans like more football. Aaron, I know you love the game of football. I love the game of football. It's these losers like Dan Wolken who said, let's just get to the end. And then Nicole Auerbach from The Athletic, who's another one of these, can't believe we're playing football. It's so sad what they're doing. These players type of reporters, keep in mind, college football reporters saying, I can't believe we're doing this. She is talking about here how Pitt, after their Friday night victory against Georgia Tech announced that they won't be playing in a bowl game, okay? More and more teams are announcing that they're not playing in a bowl game, Aaron. There are no win requirements for bowls this year. Conferences have told and encouraged programs to accept bowl invites, one, for revenue purposes, two, to keep these kids playing, you know, give them a reward for the sacrifices that they've made in this crazy 2020 season. Well, Dan Wolken and Nicole Auerbach are sitting there going, you know what? Good for these kids. They've sacrificed so much. They've done so much to make sure they stay safe and healthy. They've done so much to make sure that we have college football. Good for them. But in the same breath, okay, and I believe the players at Pitt said they did not want to play in a bowl game. Administrators and coaches were saying we probably should. Players got to vote. They're not playing. Here's what they said in the release. We sacrificed so much. I think Pat Narduzzi came out and said, these kids have done everything that we've told them to do. They deserve a break, right? We want them to go home and see their families for the holidays. We want them to be able to kind of take a deep breath. You can't have it both ways, Dan Wolken and Nicole Auerbach, because you're sitting there saying, we should have never played football. These kids' health is in danger, X, Y, and Z. And in that same breath, they're saying, These kids have done so much. You know what? Let them go home for the holidays. Let them not have to do the COVID protocols that they've been doing. That doesn't make any sense because now you're just sending these kids home to their families, and everybody's sitting there going, well, the whole point was to stay within the protocol so they stay healthy. We play football, you know, and you hopefully uh, flatten the curve, do whatever you need to do to make sure that everybody around them stays healthy as well. Do you get where I'm going at here? It doesn't make any sense to me. No, and, and at the end of the day, these kids, you know, for you know, obviously they 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 have gone through a lot. So I mean, we we said it every single week, tip oh, the yeah. hats off to the kids, the players, coaches, everyone making it happen. But I mean, that's that's the kind of the issue we're we're going on as a country now. People are getting <laughs> yeah. fatigued. 
Um, and it's tough. And, and, you know, good thing is that there is a vaccine that's being rolled out, I think, this week right now with Pfizer. And yeah. hopefully there are sunnier times ahead of us right now. But still, you know, we're, I would say what we're at the five, 10 yard line, maybe. I mean, there's still months and months to go before yeah. everyone kind of gets a vaccination if they want it. Uh, and we can kind of get back to normal life. So it's a grind. It's a grind for these college kids. But shoot, man, it's a grind for everyone. No doubt. You know, it's a grind for you and I. We got little kids and babies, and I don't want to get my baby sick, and I don't want to get sick, and it would have affected me and work. And, you know, it's tough for everyone. So that you can't, you know, I, I'm not going to make too many excuses for these kids. Are they making a sacrifice? Yes. So is everyone else, man. We're all making sacrifices right now yeah. to 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 kind of get through these crazy times. So, um yeah, it's just what it is. You know, if you're going to be a hardcore, we shouldn't have played football. You know, COVID is extra serious. Everything should be shut down. You can't say, hey, these kids have done a great job. Now just let them go ha- go back to their families. It's all yeah. over. Let them do whatever you want. You can't have it either way. And when Dan Wolken tries to stick up for himself and say, I don't hate football, dude, you're a loser. Yes, you do. It's obviously clear. And I will stick with that opinion. I'm looking forward to this weekend. I love college football. I love the game of football. I love talking football with you. A uh, quick news break that I just saw. Mackenzie Milton, UCF transfers, heading to Florida State. Um, so that could be Ooh, nice. a pretty good little situation for Mike Norvell, which on our Campus Lore Show, you said you're looking forward to see what Florida State has next year. So uh, yeah, we'll watch out. Kind of team, I, think in it, I think he's a great head coach. Um, obviously, you look at his track record. He's going to be able to bring in some talent there at FSU. I think they already have some talent on the roster right now. Then you bring in a quarterback like that. Obviously, we want to see how healthy Mackenzie Milton is. I mean, his injury was pretty gruesome um, and yeah. really tough rehab. So if he's healthy and he can get back to what he was doing there at UCF, um, that's that's huge, huge, huge for uh, for Florida State right there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, going to be a great week. Looking forward to it. Aaron, uh, you and I will be right back here later on to get everybody fired up for some SEC football and, of course, Conference Championship Weekend. Be sure to follow us at Punt and Pass on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Drew Butler. He's at Aaron Murray 11. Check out puntandpass.com, and we will talk to you later this week. See you.